Well, it's been a long time, but Steve and I are back with another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. How you doing today, Steve? I'm doing good, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, uh, I think we're getting towards the end of this uh, COVID stuff. I mean, a lot of states are opening up. I'm not sure what Georgia's done, but, you know, last week Florida opened up restaurants at a limited capacity, and this week they opened up hairdressers. So, you know, that's not a problem I have, but some people. <laughs> I was about to say, did you make your appointment to get it dyed and get it all done up? <laughs> yes, having a chrome dome has its advantages. So, um, Well, it's, it's been interesting because Georgia actually made national news for leading the pack in being assertive on opening uh, opening the state back up. And, boy, our poor governor, he got a lot of flack about opening up tattoo parlors and bowling alleys and hair salons and that, that type of thing. But, you know, I told people back at the time, I said, it's either going to be one of the worst decisions ever made by a government official or it's a true sign of leadership and and uh, everybody's going to follow, follow suit. So... As of now, it seems to be the latter of the two. Seems like uh, he was more progressive in in getting the economy back started, and I know he took a lot of a lot of flack for it. But I commend the guy because you know I'm in a position where I need to make decisions on a daily basis that are easy to be scrutinized, and I've got to whether it's the right or wrong decision. I respect that he stepped out there and made a decision. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a tough call, you know. I mean, people's health is definitely paramount, but uh, we've got to get the economy moving again. Um, you know, I, I made a comment uh, to a friend that, you know, it's great that they're opening the restaurants, but, you know, how many people now have expendable cash to go to the restaurant because they've been out of work, you know, and they may well, have got well, a stimulus I, well, check or, or, or been lucky enough to get some unemployment. Well, I think it's it's kind of interesting based on the business that I'm in is that we're having a tough time bringing people back to work because people are now making more on unemployment than they were uh, prior to unemployment. In the state of Georgia, I think it's $335 is what unemployment is on a weekly basis. And this quote-unquote stimulus money threw an additional $600 on top of it so I, I'm not sure if it goes through July or somewhere around there. But essentially what's happening is, is that people are making close to $50,000 a year. And if they're making thirty-five or $40,000, they are making more money to sit at home than yep. they are to go to work. And, you know, certainly as you make more money, that, that's not true. But, you know, the situation that we're in, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a tough one. It's tough getting people back to, back to work. Absolutely. Well, I hope everybody listening with this is being safe and being smart. Um, we started matches back up at the WAC uh, last week, um, shooting some USPSA on, on Tuesdays and Fridays. And, and, of course, we're keeping everybody, you know, we, we limited our squad sizes to 10 to try, with the, to, try to stay within the, the guidelines and, you know, telling everybody to stay home if you don't feel good. Um, and so far, we've been we've been fortunate. You know, we've been able to have some matches, and and you know, people are itching to get back out. Um, I've been there, and then you know, we've had uh, we've had to turn people away because we are we've got a hard limit on squad sizes uh, for just that reason uh, of, of trying to keep the limit to ten. We've got this our steel matches coming up this Saturday, and you know, normally uh, the match director. Dean won't turn anybody away. You want to come shoot, even if you didn't get signed up a practice score, we'll find a squad, we'll let you shoot. 
But that's not going to happen this weekend. Um, the squad sizes are, are limited to 10, and that's just it. Are they starting matches back up in uh, Georgia? Well, that's a great question. I haven't found one that's within a couple hours that have opened up in terms of Steel Challenge. It's been pockets of uh, USPSA. So two weeks ago, um, a handful of Steel Target paint folks, including Larry and Matt and Chris and myself, went up to um, Dead Zero, which is in Spencer, Tennessee, outside of Chattanooga. Andy Brown's the range uh, match director, and he just took that over here recently. And it was a it was a fantastic, but boy, it was you could tell a lot of people haven't uh, either been practicing or they're out of match shape. And so my daughter and I plan to go up to Chattanooga this weekend, which is you know three hours and twenty minutes from my house, one way. Uh, I think it's Chattanooga Practical Shooters Association, something like that, has a match up there with John Impey and and that crew. So we're gonna. We're going to head back up and, uh, and, and shoot that match. Um, where it is, our local gun club's probably not going to open up for matches until sometime in July. And as you know, that you know, there's a couple of uh, state steel matches coming up in, in addition to your match. Yep. I think that's what, July 16th, 17th, 18th, somewhere in there? Yeah, our own are uh, 17th, and then the competitors are 18 and 19. 18th and 19th. I just booked my hotel today, so I'm looking forward to that match as always. But as of right now, the first major match to open this thing back up, of course, we had the Georgia State match first uh, first week in March. Somehow we got that in before, uh, you know, life as we know it has changed. <laughs> but area <laughs> area five is still on the books. I got my email from Steve Wright the other day. Looking forward to see uh, Jan and that group up there. So that's going to be, I don't know, it's the second weekend, maybe the third weekend in June. So I'm monitoring that situation. So made uh, made the arrangements to go up there. But I think they're going to be the first one that's going to that's going to open up. So we'll see how that goes. And as of right now, there's a lot of people. I was talking to Kurt the other day. Him and his wife are planning on making the flight to come to Indiana to shoot a, shoot a real match. So... Yeah, there's going to be a lot of folks that are uh, going to make the drive or travel to get uh, to get a major match in. So hopefully that stays the course. Well, like I said, I think people are itching to get back out there, especially the shooters um, and everybody. You know, people who are you know playing pickup basketball at rec centers and soccer and all the other intramural sports that you know we all you know certain people play softball, baseball. I think everybody's itching to get back out there, and and it's just. It's, you know, it's going to take time. But, you know, you said something that I'd like to touch on uh, in this podcast, and that is, you know, getting back to match readiness. You know, if, if you haven't shot since what, uh, well, I haven't shot a match since the Georgia match. So that was first weekend in March, and here we are, you know, close to uh, what we're in the second weekend or second week of May. So... That's two and a half months. That's a long time. And I think people need to set some expectations when they get back to their first match that they're not going to be possibly where they were. Uh, And what they can do to have the best match possible at that time, and that's the goal, is is you're not going to throw out your best match after being gone for two and a half months, but you need to throw the best match possible at that time. So what would you say is, is probably one of your biggest recommendations? 
Well, I think if you got the opportunity to practice, and we'll talk about that before we get into the match thing, if you got an opportunity to practice, and this is what I advocate with a lot of the folks that I that I train and train with, is to treat it like a match. You know, you're not gonna you're only cheating yourself if you're shooting six strings and well, yeah, I kind of missed that target, but I think I may have hit it and. You know, and then you say, oh, I shot a 698 on the accelerator with my rimfire rifle open. Well, get out, get out a piece of paper and track your times and keep you honest as you're shooting a match because that type of discipline will help you if you have a stretch like what we've gone through. What have we missed? We missed the South Carolina State Steel match. We missed the Tennessee State Steel match over the last couple of weeks. The World Speed Shoot supposed to be in two weeks. That got moved. Um, you know, there's been a lot of matches that got that got moved here, and based on what I saw up in Tennessee, even for myself, it's a whole different ball game if you've got a timer sitting next to you, you got it set on delay, and it's a whole different ball game when you hear the commands, you know, <laughs> make ready. It's, it's, it's a different ball game. So my advice is similar to, to whether it's in a match or not in a match is your first string you get up there, you got to go one for one. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's had a lot of time, including myself. I don't think my guns have been in better shape, Jeff. I mean, they're they're just so clean. It's not even funny. I even put out a blog post here a couple of weeks ago about something you and I talked about. But, you know, take the rest of this time to make sure that your gear is, is ready to rock and roll, springs replaced, chambers clean, yada, yada, yada. Once you get out of that match, just start off with that, you know, that, 85% first run and then dial it up a little bit. And I was talking with, I don't know if it was Nick or Connor or one of those guys after the Tennessee match, like, man, you shot great. Hey, hey, don't get me wrong, I shot a 65 with my PCC open gun, which um, is still a great time. And if you put that against the World Speed Shoot last year, it would have taken first place. But, man, it was, it was all over the place. And... What I finally did is I settled down and just got my one-for-one, one-for-one. I didn't have what Shannon Smith called, you know, the juice got me a little bit. Yep. It's because I know how fast and how well that I can shoot, and I was just dialing it up too much. And, and typically one of the things that I like to share with people, when I'm shooting when I'm shooting pretty well, I'm shooting, I'm a, it was an eight-stage match, I'm shooting probably six stages pretty clean. What I mean by clean is I've got four strings on every stage where I don't have a pickup shot. Um, you know, certainly if I get four good ones, then I'll go after a fifth. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. And in that match, I, you know, I think it was maybe the last two stages I shot, I shot clean, meaning I had uh, the, you know, the four necessary strings. But, you know, the other six stages, man, I, I had pickup shots, and, and that's not how I shoot. You know, that's not how I perform. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do coming up into this weekend is is take my own advice, do a little one for one, dial it up, and if I have a have a pickup shot, just dial it back and get uh, get a couple of clean strings, go in the next stage and build a moment. Because just because you've been sitting at home and thinking about things and get your guns clean and yada yada yada, doesn't mean that you're going to have your best stuff when you go to that when you go to that first match. So that's, that's my advice to people people that are getting out there well you know you made a you made a point and it's something that i've seen uh when i've trained people is you know you get up there and you're just you're doing practice runs and and 
working on things and you say, okay, shoot the stage. And, you know, they shoot, that just for sake of argument, you know, they shoot smoke and hope in one eight, doesn't matter, you know, rimfire gun, but let's just say they shoot at one eight and they're really psyched. They say, okay, great. Now we're going to shoot it like a match, load five mags. And we're going to go through the same commands. Let me know if you want to hear your times and we're going to record it in the pad. And of course I've got the AMG labs timer. So it's very easy to do that. And invariably, it's not even a match. It's still practice, but you're shooting it under match conditions and people tighten up. And it's a really good point that if you're ever at practice, do that for yourself. Do some practice, work on your draws, work on your transitions, do all that. And take the last five strings and put yourself under the timer in match conditions. And if you're still performing, that's great and you're, you're spot on, and you're ready to go. If you're not, that's when you know, like you say, that juice is getting to you. You're, you're taking it seriously, and, and you're letting your mind get in the way of your abilities. And, Jeff, I, I think there's also another opportunity that's unique this year compared to other years. It's because, really, for a lot of us, especially in the southeast, the major math season major match season goes through the end of November. I think this past year was the Florida State match. Usually it's either Florida or the Alabama State, somewhere in there. And then we kick back up again in, uh, in now it's March. It used to be February at the Georgia State Steel Challenge match. Yep. So there's a, only a couple months there. and You know, there's family time over Thanksgiving and then family time at Christmas and family time in, uh, you know, uh, New Year's. But I, and so even I need to, some time to decompress to make sure that I, you know, take some time off to uh, to reset. But the good part about what we've got going on now is that you can tinker a little bit. And I'm not advocating, and I talked a little bit about it here a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not advocating that you change a whole bunch of stuff because it really is like your uh, ninth or 10th grade chemistry class. You only want to change one thing at a time. But this has given me an opportunity to try different things in in practice to see, hey, if I change this technique or if I change that small technique, if I change this hand position, if I change that hand position, or if I change my stance on the stage, is it better or is it worse without the threat of in the panic to make sure that it's I've given it diligence before I roll it out at a match. So for me, I've changed a couple things over the last, you know, six, seven, eight weeks that I think is going to help me become faster or better. Um, so I, I think we do have that unique opportunity. Again, I, I say that with caution because there's a handful of folks that I know that are listening that have a tendency to, hey, let me change a whole bunch of stuff. Well, let me, let me, uh, <laughs> Steve and blah, 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 shoot to JP. Let me ditch my lead star and try this JP with this ammo and this configuration, this PNR ammo that Steve's shooting in this configuration. It, you know, some of that's an okay thing, but all that's in you know, oh, we lost a little there, Steve. That's all right. I'm going under a bridge. There we go. Um, but all that stuff's in good. All that stuff's in moderation. You know. You know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, if it, in what you're talking about, you know, go with that 85%. Go one for one. You know, that's always kind of been my my rule. It's how I practice. Um, I think the other thing to remember is. Uh, and it's something I always espouse is you got to grip that gun. No matter what gun you're using, you got to grip that gun and you got to grip it hard. Um, 
and whether it's a rifle, that's got to be cinched into your shoulder. Uh, if it's a pistol, you've got to have that good grip, good extension. Uh, if you're using a standard grip, if you're using the opposable grip, you've got to have a good grip on the gun. Because the whole goal is to minimize the muzzle flip. And so that dot or those sights are back on target as fast as possible and there when you expect it to be. So when you transition over to that next target, you've got it. So uh, there's two tips from Steve and I. So there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say controversy. It was a question brought out uh, on Facebook. And uh, let's just touch on that a little bit. And that was, can you shoot a non optical gun in an optical division did you see that post oh i i did i got myself all involved in it too <laughs> I, I have to admit because, i was uh, a lurker i was a lurker i saw it and i just said you know i'm going to uh I'm just going to let this play out and read the read the comments well I, I i paid zach jones because i was lazy and i didn't want to get out the rule book and all that stuff and you know, because I've seen it happen uh, on several occasions where somebody will shoot a rimfire rifle iron gun and a rimfire rifle open division, um, which is certainly, it appears to be different than shooting um, an iron sight pistol in carry optics, which I didn't know. I, I, I think that there's probably a reason why they don't allow that and the rules uh, specifically state you have to have an optic on your gun. I wonder if we can get Polion uh, or Jake or Zach or somebody to see if they'll uh, divulge, or maybe we just send them an email, we'll read their email uh, on the air, of why that rule is the way that it is. Because, you know, from an iron sight uh, revolver to an optical sight revolver, that's how I got it, my Club 13. I was like, man, is my Club 13 status in jeopardy? Because I didn't have an optic on my revolver. Um, as you can tell by my classification time, <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, is your interpretation that in any other of the divisions you can run an iron-sighted gun in an optic division besides carry optics? That is my understanding, and you know I can't say for sure, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make my own conjecture, and it stems from the USPSA rules of getting bumped to open. Okay, so if you're shooting a single-stack gun let's just say, and you have a magnetic holder on your magazine uh, holders, on your, on your mag pouch, and you use it, well, that is not legal in the single-stack division. So you are not kicked out of the match. You are bumped to open. Well, now you're shooting in the open division without an open gun. So I think it may stem from that. Um, I was just searching through the, the rule book here. I couldn't find the exact rule. I'm not sure if this is the one that really qualifies it, but it has to do with changing equipment. And for those that are uh, rule book mavens, um, look at rule 3.2.3. Now this talks about equipment for a replacement gun, but it says if the, if the equipment guidelines cannot be met with a replacement gun or holster, the competitor shall be moved to the division where the equipment is eligible. So that would be able to move in steel from, say, single stack. Let's just say that same situation. You've got a magnetic mag pouch, and you've used it, which is odd because you really don't need mag pouches in steel, but let's just go with that 
scenario, you would get bumped to limited. You would not get bumped straight to open. But again, if you then, you know, in limited, uh, if you, I don't know what the, what the rule would be, but there's got to be a reason to bump to open. When you got bumped, you'd be shooting that iron-sighted gun in an open division. So I think that's where that stems from uh, with regards to how you can shoot a, uh, an iron-sighted gun in an open division. Of course, we don't really have a lot of bumping in steel challenge, but it's, it's possible. It's there. I, and I was just going to say, I've seen it um, more than a couple of times. I think probably the last time I saw it, I won't, I'll leave the, uh, the name out of it, but somebody was shooting um, an X5 Legion, a SIG Legion, and they were shooting in carry optics, and they left the factory magwell that comes with the Legion on it, and somebody identified it and bumped them to open it. Yep. It was a little bit of a discussion, but that was a you know that's a great call. Do I personally think it creates an advantage with that magwell? Eh, probably not. You know, not not in steel because it's not really for hand placement and all that kind of stuff. I don't really think it Agreed. helps or aids the draw that much. But that was a rule. We had a situation. I'm going back just the ones that are coming um, top to mind. Uh, it was the 2018 Tennessee State Field Challenge match. Um, we were shooting on a squad, and somebody had a PCC. And they were shooting PCCI, and they had the wrong um, clear image solutions lens yep. on their gun. And I, yep. I apologize. I can't remember the rule. At the top of my head, it was a big deal. A couple it can't years be, ago it cannot be thought, a full glass up front. Yeah, it had to be the three-gun model, which was yep. kind of like half the glass. That's exactly so, the case. Uh, yeah, and so it was pointed out, and somebody came to me because I thought I was a rule <laughs> aficionado, and I said, well, even I know you can't shoot that in, in iron. I don't think they were going to be competitive, so they were given the option to com complete the match as PCCO, and actually the person that pointed out to the person allowed them to use their... PCCI gun to uh, to shoot the match. So no no shots were fired with that gun. It was identified as soon as they unbagged it. So I thought that was a that was a fantastic uh, fantastic call. Jeff, yeah, I do absolutely. have a rules question for you. Since we're kind of on the rule thing, and I I admit I'm not a certified range officer. We talked about that on the podcast. Maybe if I've got some more free time, I certainly is gold mine to get that done. So I know uh, quite a few of the rules, but I, I just don't know the complete detail. I want to talk a little bit about, I've seen it at a couple of venues we've shot at. It talks about sweeping yourself. So if I bag either, let's call it a, a, a long gun, let's talk about PCC open, and I place the gun in the bag, and then the zipper is at the back of the bag that's furthest away from the uh, shooter towards the 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 peanut gallery, and as I close my bag, the zipper goes in front of that muzzle. Is that considered flagging yourself or not? I believe there is a specific rule for that now to call that out, and that because a lot of times those zippers are in the front of the bag. Okay? That's correct. So you're reaching out. If the gun is encased and the muzzle cannot be seen, you can't sweep yourself gotcha okay hold on a second sorry about that
It's Mike Foley calling in for a rules judgment. <laughs> There's a know, Troy. It's, it's Troy a really at? good point. It's a really good point regarding the rules, and I see this a lot on the forums and I in the Facebook, and I, I keep my mouth shut. And you know, uh, people will throw out situations, and you can't just say it's a DQ. If you're gonna, right. if someone's gonna get DQ'd, there's got to be a rule they broke. Right. Okay. So, um, a lot of people just like to say, "Oh, well, that's a DQ," because they think it is. Okay. And if you don't know, I mean, I am a, a, a range officer. I'm an NROI certified range officer. I'm not a chief range officer, and I'm definitely not a range master. And my suggestion to any RO who believes there is a rule infraction that is DQable, first words out of your mouth are stop, unload and show clear, call the range master. Because it's technically the right. range master who is DQing you not the RO. And that way, the range master should know the rules or have access to a rule book directly. Because let's face it, most of us, I've read the rule book, you know, I've taken the class, um, but I don't know all the rules. And that's what a range master is supposed to do. And have a set of rule book right. and, and look, because when you DQ somebody, especially from a major, and I'm not talking, I mean, at a local match, you should still ask. If somebody says, well, you're DQ'd, very nicely say, under what rule? And I'd like to call the range master. Right. Because, he, I mean, we're all competitive, and, and it happens all the time. Now, some of them are, are very easy, and people don't, you know, accidental discharge. Uh, of course, we don't have moving with uh, finger in the trigger, but uh, technically you could be reloading with your finger in the trigger. Um, shot fired within 10 feet of the box. Um, shot over the berm. Uh, dropped gun, all of those are, no one's going to question the fact that you were DQ'd. Um, but oh, we, we actually had it. Go ahead. Let's talk about the drop, let's talk about the drop gun thing. Had that situation, and again, you know, these are kind of nuances. Had that situation at the Georgia State match that was down in Strong Point, I believe it was two years ago, that somebody had their gun, the make ready command was given, they went to take it out of the holster and drop the gun inside the box. And the RO said, hold on. The RO grabbed the gun, gave it back to, you know, make sure that the gun was clear, gave it back to the person, no DQ, no infraction, and moved down the road. Was that the right call, Jeff? If the make ready command was given, it was the incorrect call. Gotcha. So now, they were if, if, if the up. person had gone up, let's just say they're shooting an open gun with a race holster, they got in the box, yep. they're waiting for the RO to make the command, but they have not given the command yet. The gun gets bumped because you forgot to put the lock on, and it falls out. Right. If you back away, the RO does the exact same procedure, you're still in the match. Gotcha. Now, but if the competitor touches the gun, it's a wrap. That's correct. That's correct. Gotcha. And maybe, the maybe it's been a couple of years. Yeah. It's been a couple of years, so maybe that was the situation. That may have been. 
I mean, I am, I'm, I am the unfortunate recipient of a local match DQ in a USPSA match where that exactly happened. Uh, uh, whether I forgot the, to put the lock on or the lock came off, and it's probably I forgot to put the lock on. Um, make ready, and I reached to get a mag out, and when I reached for the gun, I didn't have a solid grip on the gun, and it fell out because I was expecting it uh, to be locked, something like that. Any anyway, long story short, I dropped the gun. The gun fell out of my my uh, race holster, and it was stop. Make sure the gun is clear. Here's your gun and your walking papers. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. And I think, you know, the other thing that this conversation brings up to me, for a lot of our listeners, are, you know, they may be in the same situation that I am. They're not a certified range officer. But a lot of us are called to duty because we do shoot a lot at local matches, and we do assume the range officer responsibility. Yep. So what I would say is the number one thing, especially at a local match, is always make sure safety is first. Absolutely. Who cares about all the other stuff? You know, we, we screw up a call here or there or whatever, a hit, not hit. That, at the end of the day, who really cares? Nobody does. I don't really care. It's all about making sure that we all know that if the gun is painted, pointed in a safe direction, nobody's going to get hurt, right? Yep. Absolutely. And to, to make sure... Gun handling 101 is your utmost number one responsibility and priority if you're asked to step in, if you're not a certified range officer. So that's 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 what I think about anytime somebody hands me a tire, hey, Steve, could you run this group? Or, hey, would you mind taking the point? It's, it's gun handling 101. Make sure that all weapons are bagged or cased or holstered until the time they get up to the line to make sure that even when they're reloading or changing mags or what have you, that the gun is pointed in a safe direction. A soft reminder, even if they get remotely close to a 180, whether that's up, down, side to side, at their feet, because I've had a couple of folks that drop the, the muzzle quite a bit, it's just, hey, just watch your muzzle as you reload. We're having a good time, and we're going to continue to have a good time. So Yeah, that's you know, it's funny because there's always been two sides of the story of if someone's about to break a rule and you see it, should you stop them? It doesn't happen so much in, in, uh, in Steel Challenge, but specifically in USPSA sure. where, you know, maybe somebody is finishing at, for sake of argument, uh, at about 170 degrees. Okay, they've had almost a, a cross shot across the base shot. And as an RO, you see them, after finishing the stage, you see them continue to move the gun towards the 180. You know, should you say stop? Should you actually push their arm? Should you give them an extra command like face down range, unload and show clear? Um, and like I said, there's, you know, the, the purists and, and by the rules, you know, none of those are commands. None of that is the responsibility of the RO. Um, but you also, why would you knowingly let someone break a safety rule that could put others in harm? So it's a tough call. 
Well, let me ask you this, Jeff, and again, you know, you and I have talked about it before. I don't shoot a lot of USPSA. I think I'm going to start shooting a little bit to uh, maybe see if the mini rifle thing's something for me uh, here in a couple of years. But can you, as a competitor, because the 180-degree thing in USPSA is actually a bigger deal than I think a lot of people that don't shoot USPSA realize. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of, of people that set up stages where you'll be shooting targets at probably 175 degrees. That that happens, right? Absolutely. Is it okay, is it okay to ask the RO if you shoot that target from this position, is that breaking the 180 or not? Can you ask that? Well, I'm sure you can ask it, but is the RO obligated to tell you if it is or if it isn't before you shoot? That's a good question. And, you know, from my heart, I would say yes. But sure. I can't state a, a, a rule or something in the book that says they're obligated. Um, gotcha. You know, uh, USPSA, you know, you're doing a walkthrough. That's something... You know, let's, there are, I have shot stages where there was a clear opportunity um, if you weren't careful to break the 180. And if you go up and you say, well, if I shoot from this position, you know, am I going to break the 180? Well, the answer is, quite frankly, it's irrelevant because it's not where you stand, it's where the gun goes. You know, I can break the 180 if I'm running down range and I put the gun down and point the barrel behind me. I'm facing down range, but the gun's muzzle broke the 180. And so that's really the answer. Um, it doesn't matter where you stand, it's where the gun is positioned. Sure, I'm just breaking the 180. Um, but it's a good question. I think. We tend to do something at the WAC where we will have these cross-bay shots uh, in, in some of our bays, and we try to set them up where, you know, the fault line is behind the 180 from where you would engage the target. So unless you're shooting outside the fault line, you're not going to break the 180. Um, but that's not a requirement. I mean, I've seen you can go on YouTube and find some stages where you know targets are wide open and people run by them forget them and then turn the gun backwards and shoot them and <laughs> they're, they're not only breaking the 180 but they're shooting while breaking the 180 um, yeah under, understood and the reason why I asked that is I haven't um, again shot a lot of USPSA I did shoot the Georgia match back in 2012 so it's been quite a few years and the RO at the time, it was, I think they ended up actually throwing the stage out. They DQ'd, I think, eight people. Um, but even the squad that I was on, there was, uh, you know, some master and maybe one GM. But there was a lot of average guys like myself there. And I asked the question, and the RO refused to respond. So I, I don't know if he didn't know or didn't want to be held accountable but um, it, it was it was pretty dicey. It was it, it was pretty dicey. I, again, I'm sure there's something in the rules that talk about that. You know, at a major match for USPSA, there tends to be a stage briefing, 
and and you can ask things about the briefing, um, you know, with regards to, you know, if there's mandatory reloads, if you don't understand what that means, and they can explain that from a, from a position of shooting the stage. Um, but as far as positioning in the 180, it's a good question. And, you know, if, if Mike or Jake uh, or Troy are listening, um, we'd love to have an answer on the, on the podcast page because I think it's a good question. And I'd rather say I don't know uh, than, uh, than try to make something up. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It's no, not at all. Not at all. It's a good question. As the discussion evolves, for sure. It's a good question. It's a good question. So let's see what else has been going on in the world with regards to shooting. Uh, you know, it's been it's been so light. I know uh, a couple of matches actually started a couple of weeks ago, and like I said, we started shooting. You know, um, you know, you're fortunate. You have a home range. I'm fortunate. I have a place I can go practice. You know, um, for those that uh, are, are done cleaning your guns but haven't had a practice, you know, take them out, make sure they're clear, double, triple check that they're clear, and, you know, maybe just do some simple, you know, feel that gun again in your hand. Do some simple, you know, if you're even a, a rimfire or a PCC, you know, PCC, get that, that gun shouldered, and do some draw motions and uh, in your house. Uh, I found that... Uh, uh, Light switches are great things to aim at because they're, they're right at about where you want to be. They're not quite five foot high, but they're good things to aim at. Uh, and, and they're almost prevalent in every house. Um, of course, you can set up a paper plate and set it up five feet. And, or, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have bought some of the go fast, don't suck uh, target stickers, uh, you could set some of those up. Uh, and, but, you know, grab that gun beforehand. And, uh, you know, specifically, I mean, I, like I said, I've been fortunate. You've been fortunate. I've been able to shoot through this whole time, not a match, but practice. So, you know, I've been able to continue to draw my gun and uh, both in center fire and, and rim fire. Um, and I know I'm nowhere near because, again, that practice mentality is a lot different than match mentality, even at a local match. And you've pointed out that many times. Well, you know, the other thing that <laughs> my mind does drift a little bit, Jeff, I've been, <laughs> I shouldn't even tell you this, I'm looking at a 327 revolver today. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> now, what model is hey, that? Hey, you know, I, it's a Smith & Wesson 327. It's an 8-shot. It's a smaller frame, um, 357, 38. So, my man Corey Ash up in uh, Pennsylvania, he's a grandmaster. That's what he shoots. He shoots Jerry Mitchellick version, but I was thinking, man, hey, you know, of course he shoots that. He's pretty good with it. Maybe uh, if I got a small revolver, I'll be better. So I'm trying to get these in. If I talk about them, I get these impure thoughts out of my mind. I just need to focus on what I'm trying to focus on. Well, you know, and, if you decided, uh, if you decide to do that, if you decide to do that, I happen to know that you have a 929, and um, I, I have a home for it to go to. Uh, because I wouldn't mind having a backup. I shoot a 929, and I'm very comfortable with it. And uh, I wouldn't mind having a backup for it. So uh, if you if you end up going with that, um, I want first rights of refusal on uh, on that 929. If you decide to move that one. All right, consider it done. <laughs> <laughs> consider it done. Man, I've been looking at open guns. I don't. I, yeah, just order another JP. I I think I got a problem. 
I really do. I think I got a problem, Jeff. How many JPs do you have? Let's share share with what you, share with the fan base. What are you? I can take my a guess. Wife? <laughs> I can. Does she listen? Teresa, turn turn so, off the podcast so, right now. <laughs> sometimes. I don't know. I'll just I'm, I'm going to guess. Okay, I know you had. I know you have oh, a boy. thirteen. You haven't sold any of them, right? You got all the ones you've ever owned? No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. It's I'm going to go with It's just a couple. 4 or 5. It's a couple like cookies couple. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a baker's dozen? <laughs> no, it's not that many. I've got uh I've got my black GMR uh 13 which is first first JP that I owned. I've got uh, the Green Monster. It's my first gun candy-coated one. Um, I've got uh, my purple-gold transition-colored one. And I've got uh, my ingot gold uh, side-charging handle one. So is it four? Is it four, Steve? Four. Now or in the future? Yeah, I've got got four. I did have their 22 that I was helping helping out do some R&D. six seven eight months ago i had that for a while right the the 22 it was a tan color and i don't know i'm sure i'll end up with one of those at some point just because so yeah, yeah no they're I, they're i've thought about they're I've all great guns gun. i've i've thought about that uh that jp22 um for a number of reasons but uh it, it, feeling i i don't know why but i just feel more comfortable shooting my pcc sometimes than i do shooting my rimfire rifle and i'm i feel confident in both but uh, there's something about holding that AR platform uh, and, and the weight of it compared to the, um, the, the uh, Rimfire 22. Yeah, it's definitely familiar, right? The feel of it's familiar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but my Magnum Research guns, both my iron sight as well as my open gun, they just feel so comfortable. Yeah, um, they feel so comfortable, and I'm shooting them far better than any rimfire rifle I've ever had. So I'm, I am going to make a little tweak. We'll talk about that later. Okay. A little, a little, a little stock tweak on on one. So I reached out to. Well, I'll tell you more about that later offline. So we'll see see where it goes. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, when you're ready to share it with me, I'll be ready to listen, and then we can share it with the listeners when you're ready to let it out after you've shot it and got even faster. Sounds good, man. It was good talking with you, Jeff. Absolutely, Steve. Everybody, thanks for uh, listening. Uh, we're going to try to get back to a reg- regular schedule on this, uh, especially now that matches are starting up, and uh, we're going to try to get some more guests on here. Uh, don't forget, this is the Steel Target Paint podcast, sponsored by Steel Target Paint, which is at rangestore.net. They've got lots of great products out there, including what Steve wears, what I wear, and what I think everyone should wear, and those are Hunter's HD Gold glasses. And Steve, we've got a discount coupon. Uh, What's that code again? Yeah, use uh, discount code STPODCAST10 for 10% off. Look at that. And if you're not using steel target paint, why? It's that simple. Exactly. You know, know, it's funny because I just, this week... Uh, it's awesome. About uh, beginning of the month, beginning of the year, we uh, we got I got the whack on the auto renewal program, and uh, I set it up to come in the first week of the month because our match is on the third Saturday, and it's been on time every month. 
and yeah, we've built up a little stock of paint. And the nice thing about it is if I want to turn it off for a month, I can do that and then turn it back on sure. and, uh, and it works out great. I think we're going to keep it on because I think it's always good to have a good stock of paint. Uh, plus, we're running the USPSA matches. Um, we were shooting st some steel stages, some stages with steel last night. Uh, in fact, um, it was funny. I'll, I'll share this little story. Uh, four large plates at about, uh, I don't know, 15 yards. And I came off, and uh, I heard four dings and kept moving. And uh, I left one standing because <laughs> I edged it. Um, oh. you know, my, you know, being a, being a steel, uh, steel challenge shooter, I hear a ding. That's all I need. <laughs> so, uh, I have to fix that for my USPSA shooting and try to make sure I've verified that the, the, the steel's gone down because uh, steel must fall to score. Hey, you know, uh, since we're in story time, I saw something that I don't think I ever have seen, um, maybe once before. But we were up in Chattanooga, Chris Barrett was shooting, I think it was his PCC, he shot plate four on, on Smoke and Hope, hit it solid on the edge, and the deflection actually hit plate three dead center. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, did anybody get that on video? <laughs> no, nobody did. That's crazy. So... Anyway. so. Yeah, All right, I would have kept it moving. Thanks for listening, Steve, thanks for taking the time in your car ride home. And uh, like I said, we're going to get these going again soon and uh, hopefully getting some good information out to everybody. Take it easy. All right, sounds good. All right, see you.